Hello and welcome once again to the Journal of Adolescent and Adult Literacy podcast. I am your host, Matt Sroka. And who would have thought that just doing a podcast about literacy would take you down so many interesting avenues, uh, such as we have gone down in this on this on this show. And that's true for today as well, as we have a very interesting conversation with Dr. Richard Beach about uh, climate change and its impact and how we connect it to, to literacy. But before we get there, I want to tell you about a couple of things, two quick things. One, a new resource um, that JAL, the Journal of Adolescent Thought Literacy, has available um, called Literacy Insights. It's a cool resource. I'm a little biased because I created this resource, but it's a cool resource that is designed to be kind of a one-stop um, place for you to find all kind of the latest research on a given literacy topic. For instance, I just use this in my classroom. Um, just this past week, we were talking about it's a disciplinary literacy class. We were talking about how to help students who struggle with reading the complex text that we have, that we ask them to read in our disciplines um, at the secondary level. And I used the literacy insights called um, teaching or reading and teaching complex text texts. Um, and if you kind of open up and you, and I'm, I'm linking the literacy insights in the show notes, you can also go to the um, JAW website and, and find it as well. Um, but I think the easiest way is it's linked in the show notes. And so, um, the idea is I can bring this teaching and reading complex text, and it has three articles on there, all kind of recent articles written in JAL that deal with this specific topic of teaching and reading complex text. Um, I also have a place for additional resources um, where I put YouTube conversations with the authors of the articles, as well as, um, of course, my podcast. If there's a podcast that applies to one of the articles, I put that there. And then I also have discussion questions that, um, and again, I use these discussion starters. I used them this past week in my classroom, really effective. Um, so given three articles, other resources, other resources to, to look at like podcasts and YouTube and then discussion starters. And so if you want to teach one of these, one of these topics, um, you can go right here and kind of use this to teach the topic. So I think it's great for instructors. It's great for, for PD. Um, I think it's just a great, a great resource to have. Right now, there's three literacy insights that are currently up, so more to come. Right now, I have a literacy insights on creative literacies, one on teaching and reading complex texts, and one on using personal narratives to empower multilingual learners. Um, so again, if any of those ideas intrigue you or you want to bring those into your classroom, this is kind of a very simple way to, um, to bring into your classroom with everything you need kind of right there. Um, it's on a one-page PDF, all the resources and the articles. And all the artic articles are, for the time being, free to read as well. Um, so I encourage you guys to take advantage of that. And I would love to hear your feedback. What, do, what I mean, I just created these. Uh, I think they're a cool resource, but um, I would love your feedback on um, if you like them, the things that could be improved, and kind of future topics that I could explore with some of these literacy insights. Um, so I appreciate the feedback on there. Speaking of feedback, the second thing real quick I want to get to, if you enjoy this show, please like and review. I've been told that that helps, helps our reach, um, the more people that like it and review it. So um, go to Apple Podcasts if you enjoyed the, the, this podcast, and please 
like, and review it. Okay. With that said, I'm excited for this conversation with Dr. Richard Beach. Um, I'm excited to to talk to, to someone here who I consider myself re- relatively new in the in the literacy field and, and the literacy scholar field. And um, Dr. Richard Beach is someone who um, who I've not known him, but I've I've known of him in terms of his work, and I've, I've respected his work for a long time. And so it was it was fun to get to chat with him today. So in this episode. Um, Dr. Richard Beach and I explore critical inquiry and literacy as it relates to climate change. Um, so we kind of discuss what teachers can do, uh, how can they how can they can adapt roles and employ tools to help students kind of critically and meaningfully and authentically engage with issues around climate change. Um, this conversation stems from Dr. Richard Beach's article for JAW titled Teachers and Students' Use of Systems Thinking About Their Participation in School Environmental Clubs. That, um, again, that is that article is linked in the show notes. So if you enjoy this conversation, I would encourage you guys to go um, find the article in the show notes and, and, and read the article. Also, Dr. Richard Beach uh, is, has given me a ton of resources. And in our conversation, you'll hear him list several resources in our conversation we're about to have. I put all the resources that Dr. Richard Beach mentions, I put all the resources in um, the, the show notes. So you can go, if you mention the resource, go to the show notes and you can find it. Um, I also listed several of his publications in the show notes um, as it relates to our conversation today. So again, if you want to read more, um, you can look at, 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 at Richard Beach's work there that can be found in the show notes. All right, Richard, Dr. Richard Beach is a professor emeritus of literature education. University of Minnesota, Twin Cities. He has conducted research and published books in response to literature, composition, instruction, use of digital media, and teaching about climate change for supporting English language arts instruction. I hope you enjoy our conversation. I'm now excited to be joined on the Journal of Adolescent Adult Literacy podcast by Dr. Richard Beach. Uh, Dr. Beach, thank you for joining us. Can, can you talk a little bit about your background? How did you get interested in your work around environmental and climate change education? Yeah, I became interested in teaching about climate change when I was working with my colleague, Jill Kasich of the University of Arizona, about 12 years ago, when we were studying middle school students' use of Digo chat apps for collaboratively responding to climate change reports on temperature increase and the use of windmills. This resulted in the 2013 report using apps to support disciplinary literacy and science learning published in JAL. It was clear to me that these middle school students were strongly interested in sharing their concerns about climate change in this science class. While climate change is often addressed in science classes, I perceive the need for more attention on teaching climate change in ELA classes. English language arts teachers recognize the need to teach about climate change, as was indicated in a national survey of 707 teachers, including 354 ELA teachers and 105 administrators that found that 34% agreed and 74% somewhat agreed that, quote, climate change will have an enormous impact on students' futures, and it's irresponsible not to address the problem and solutions in schools. 
Teaching climate change in ELA classes involves having students respond to literature about climate change, using writing and digital media to communicate about the need for change to address climate change, engaging in role play activities to experience thinking and sharing ideas about climate change. In ELA classes, students experience characters and people engaging in the ethical and moral need to address the climate crisis as an existential threat to the planet's future. It's also important that rather than adopting a doomsday stance, that students experience a sense of hope by moving to a green economy free of dependency on fossil fuels. All of this led to my 2015 JAL report, quote, imagining a future for the planet through literature, writing, images, and drama, to then our 2017 book for ELA teachers with Alan Webb and Jeff Scher, Teaching Climate Change to Adolescents, Reading, Writing, and Making a Difference. In the show notes, as Matt indicated, Matthew indicated, there are links to all of these references, as well as links to my publications that I cite in my comments. We have also been holding well-attended roundtable sessions at the NCT conference beginning in 2018 that continue today for ELA teachers to share their instruction. And in the notes, I also include uh, links to all these presentations. So teachers interested, they can access tons and tons of these presentations. I also think that students are much more aware now of the climate change impacts, which are they're experiencing in their local regions with extreme weather events, hurricanes, drought, heat, increased temperatures. For example, even this last week, it was still 105 in Arizona. And in my home city of Minneapolis, it was 90 degrees, so it was too hot to even do the Twin Cities Marathon. Yeah, that's a reminder that these issues are no longer even hypothetical for our students. These are very real implications. And I agree with those ELA teachers that we need to bring this stuff more across uh, into the classroom, in the ELA and all the disciplines. So before we get into your specific study, can we contextualize the study? Can you talk about the role of critical inquiry? What do you mean by this term and why is it important to get students to move beyond just learning about a topic to being able to use critical inquiry to critique the world around us? Engaging critical inquiry involves critiquing familiar status quo practices perpetuating a dependency on fossil fuels. As I note in the report, and in my note, my recent report in research and teaching of English, doing so requires engaging in what is known as systems thinking. <clears throat> systems thinking involves going beyond a focus on individual actions to critique how status quo, energy, transportation, agriculture, clothing, capitalist economic, and legal political systems perpetuate a dependency on fossil fuels, resulting in the destruction of ecosystems. For example, the transportation systems remains dependent on gas for cars, trucks, and planes. The agriculture system focused on meat production results in deforestation, leading for cow grazing, leading to a loss of trees absorbing emissions. The clothing industry produces, quote, fast fashion, unquote, clothing, 
made with polyester from fossil fuels that don't last. So people just throw them away, they end up in landfills, and that generates more emissions. Perpetuating all these systems is a capitalist economic system based on the need for companies to make profits, literally and figuratively, at all costs, and a legal political system that protects these companies. For example, by passing laws in some states pushing back on environmental reviews. <laughs> Critical inquiry also involves adopting an ethical need to critique an extractivist perspective that assumes humans can take from, subdue, control, and even devastate the environment. But instead of adopting sustainable ethical practices, that recognizes the need to support healthy ecosystems. As one of the Earth Corps students in my study noted, quote, it was her responsibility to do what I can to lessen my effect first on the Earth's climate change and to make sure that other people do the same thing too, or at least advocate and educate for that. Mm. Appreciate that quote. And I appreciate that when we look at something like critical inquiry, Richard, you are not, we're not just talking kind of in theoretical terms, but also in that response and in your paper, very specifically addressing what critical critical inquiry looks like uh, in the context of um, environmental studies and climate change. So as part of this critical inquiry, you discuss how students and teachers need to adopt roles and employ tools. Can you unpack this? What do these roles and tools look like? My report was based on a research study analyzing the participation of an ELA teacher coordinator, three, three coordinator, coordinators, and then three students members who were members of the Earth Corps at Jefferson High School and two ELA teacher coordinators of the Green Club at Kennedy High School in the Twin City suburb of Bloomington, Minnesota. Drawing on systems thinking, I analyzed interview transcripts based on the purposes driving participation in the clubs, the norms and beliefs discourses shaping their participation, and the roles and tools they employed. In the study, the teachers assumed important roles in modeling systems thinking for their um, students to engage in students in critical inquiry. For example, one of the Green Club coordinators, Dan, modeled, quote, critical analysis of norms and beliefs and discourses constituting agriculture food system so that students think about the larger food agricultural agribusiness system promoting beef for kids. The Earth Corps coordinator Elizabeth modeled her ethical need to be concerned about climate change, leading to her participation in both the school and community. Based on her critique of the fast fashion clothing system, Elizabeth described how the Earth Corps system, quote, did a, did a fast fashion education session, like how to buy clothes ethically. So thrifting was a great option to change their this consumerism mind by giving your clothes to thrift scores rather than just throwing them away. The students also learn the importance of engaging in roles through collective action, mediated by being in a club instead of acting independently on their own. They could then recruit other students by demonstrating how clubs were benefiting their school and community. For example, by growing food in the school garden to donate to food banks. Yeah, I, I appreciate, uh, Richard, how you're, you go from critical inquiry, which is very specific, how we can kind of uh, 
look at these things critically to then it, it it almost necessarily leads to action. And so those are some good examples of how critical inquiry um, led to students employing those roles and tools to take action. So let's get into your study um, that you did for the Journal of Adolescent Literacy. Um, and once again, as a reminder, you can access the study uh, along with all the resources that Richard's talking about on the show notes. Uh, so your study focuses on two environmental clubs and explores questions around critical inquiry and the roles they embody and the tools they employ. What were some of the key findings around critical inquiry, critiquing norms and beliefs that you found interesting? Um, in assuming, assuming the leadership roles in the club, students were acquiring a sense of agency related to the ability to make change. When the Earth Corps students created curriculum resources on teaching climate change, they held a training session with the school faculty. And then, and based on that training, they then perceived changes in the teachers themselves using all of their resources. The Earth Corps members also lobbied the state legislature to pass laws on teaching climate change in schools and purchasing school electric school buses. So these students are really taking on a sense of agency through their collective action, which I think they benefited from being in the club. The coordinators also recognizing, recognizing the importance of student members themselves deciding on club activities. As Dan noted, the club members, quote, are the ones who are initiating activity, not just in the classroom where the teacher's telling them what to do. So they are the ones who take charge. And that's something important they're learning from how to do stuff independently. These clubs pro provide a context or space for them to be active in a collective way so they can take on responsibility. Thank you, Rich. I appreciate the response and their kind of roles that they took up. What, what, what about the tools that they employed? What, what did your study find there? The club members learned to employ tools for communicating activities with their peers and faculty. For example, they created websites describing their activities and roles. For example, Earth Corps members created videos about training peers on recycling and composting in the lunchroom. And they also created posters for the, in the, put up in the hallways about their activities. And they also created curriculum resources on Google Docs, as was the case in providing uh, resources for the teachers in their school. The Green Club members also produce a weekly news broadcast about club events and activities that they shared weekly and that were shared weekly in all the homerooms. And they also used Instagram to interact with their peers about their activities. At the same time, consistent with systems thinking, they also critique the use of media promoting the idea of what Dan noted of the idea that the key to happiness and success is more wealth and more consumption leading to destruction. So I think the uh, critical media literacy is also a big part of this where, <clears throat> where teachers need to help students learn to critique some of the disinformation out there on social media about climate change. Yeah, and those, there's a bunch of stuff <laughs> out there. And I appreciate how those tools they employ were, were both kind of um, media lit literacy and social media related like Instagram, but also like kind of old school, if you will, with posters and stuff, because I think um, both those are effective and, and helping kids to kind of go into both directions, I, I think is helpful. Um, and yeah, certainly in all that to be kind of critical observers. 
Um, so, so let's transition to talking about kind of the implications for your work. Your work highlights the value of environmental clubs. Um, and I don't want to diminish that in any way. If your school does not have an environmental club, I think you should start it or um, you should join with other teachers and start environmental clubs. But even outside of environmental clubs, Richard, do you see a place for these ideas around teaching around environmental uh, change, climate change, environmental education in the traditional classroom? Uh, do you think your work fits better in uh, certain disciplines like science? I know you also uh, at the opening supported bringing it to ELA. Um, do you think this climate change education is appropriate for all classrooms and all disciplines? I do. I think that climate change should be taught across the curriculum based on the resources that I cite in the show notes from our book on a chapter on interdisciplinary instruction for teaching about climate change. I mean, just think if you're a middle school teacher, you often engage in planning with your peers in different disciplines, particularly at the middle school level. And so you're interacting with the other peers in, in creating these middle school uh, you know, interaction. And certainly uh, high school teachers can also interact with their uh, colleagues and just plan to deliberately together on teaching climate change across the curriculum. Because it's so much more effective if an uh, English teacher can say, oh, in your science class, you were thinking about ways of thinking about the ecosystem. Mm-hmm. Or in your social studies class, you were thinking about how political and legal, um, you know, legal things in terms of systems thinking affect uh, my teaching about that in literature. Uh, so in the science classes, uh, science teachers often draw on the next generation science standards on climate change, which are rich and extensive. So their students then can understand how different components of the ecosystem operate. Uh, in social studies classes, teachers have students draw on systems thinking to study community, their community's political, legal, and economic systems that impact environmental justice issues. For example, <clears throat> students in local communities can study how high levels of emissions uh, affect low-income neighborhoods due to the fact that these neighborhoods are often near highways or power plants. And so <clears throat> they can also draw on a lot of case studies out there about environmental justice issues and I cite examples from the Mary Robinson Climate Justice site or the Teaching Climate Justice Curriculum. Uh, for example, <clears throat> students in a study in uh, Richmond, California, which has a lot of power plants and oil, went around and they studied their local neighborhoods and they collected data on emissions in those neighborhoods. And what they found, of course, was in the low income highly diverse neighborhoods, there are far more emissions. And there, as a result, there, that has a real effect on health, the health uh, in those neighborhoods. So they took that data and they put it together in a report and they went to the school and the community and they talked about this is a real problem. So I think people in that community were then more aware of the need to address what are called these uh, climate injustice, justice issues around the effect of emissions in low-income neighborhoods. <clears throat> if people, as student teachers, are inter- interested in this interdisciplinary approach, they integrate interdisciplinary teaching about Earth, sustainable future at Carlton College as a rich body of uh, interdisciplinary curriculum resources. And I 
cite that link in that in the uh, show notes. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. All of that in uh, interdisciplinary stuff. Um, I mean, the, the fact is, it's undeniable, right, that these climate change issues are impacting kind of every aspect of our lives, which makes sense that they would impact every facet of our disciplines in school. And I, I often on this podcast make an argument for relevant and authentic education. And those suggestions that you offer up, Richard, are very uh, relevant and authentic to the lives of students. Um, you also talk about kind of how we could bring and connect the work to young adult literature. Can you talk about that some? So when students are responding to young adult, what are called cli-fi novels, or novels about climate change, they're experiencing characters coping with climate damage in the future. And this can lead, lead to them taking action based on responding to these characters to address the climate crisis. Uh, students can also better perceive the current realities of climate change by reading about what are more disruptions that are portrayed in these, uh, in these books, take action. For example, in the novel, young adult novel, The Carbon Diaries, uh, published in 2015, the main character is a teenage Laura. She keeps a diary about carbon and washing water rationing in London and how it, well, her friends and neighbors are coping with flooding and blackouts. Uh, when the London then experiences the great storm, she, Laura, and her peers make ethical decisions to push for changes in the government's climate change policy. And this serves a kind of model to show for students reading about this as a way of, hey, this character did these actions. I can do these actions too. Uh, in the show notes, I give a list of uh, cli-fi young adult novels the link to that. Uh, and also, I want to talk about resources on a new uh, site at, at my former University of Minnesota. So the, it's called the Climate Literacy Project, and there's a link to that at climatelit.org. That project includes a lot of rich resources about teaching a literature, cli-fi literature, um, and it's, you know, and a lot of people are now contributing to that, including teachers themselves. So I highly recommend going to the Climate Lit uh, new resource site at the University of Minnesota. Uh, teachers can also connect uh, their interdisciplinary instruction on the stuff we're talking about by reading nonfiction books. And these nonfiction books are often geared for adolescents. For example, they could read Greta Thunberg's No, no One is Too Small to Make a Difference about how she is engaged in projects protests as a teenager herself about climate change. <clears throat> um, they also can read the story of more how we got to climate change and where we go from here. It critiques the disparity between the wealthiest countries in the world who create a lot more emissions and food waste than the world's poorest nations. So that's an international kind of perspective that would be useful for social studies, English teachers to think about the disparity between the wealthy countries and poor countries. Um, they have, could also read the nonfiction book, as, as Long as Grass Grows, The Indigenous Fight for Environmental Justice, From Colonialization to Standing Rock. And this book is about Native American people's resistance to mistreatment by the government and corporations who violated their 
protections of the environment. For example, describes the 2016 Standing Rock protest in South Dakota, where the Indians protest all the environmental destruction that the government has you know, perpetuated on the Native Americans in, in America. And there's a long history of that, that you know, social studies and English teachers could think about in terms of other books about and even fiction about uh, Native American uh, lives. Yeah, I think um, as that list <laughs> demonstrates, there's no shortage of resources and text to put in the hands of students um, to help talk about the, these issues. And I appreciate how your list both includes fiction and nonfiction, right? Because I think there, those fiction, nonfiction texts are making oft, often making two kind of different mm -hmm. arguments, right? One is focused on kind of the personal story and the personal impact and what a person can do. And the, and the other story is focused more on kind of building knowledge uh, around this issue. I experienced this recently myself, Richard. I, last year, I read Bruce Holtzinger's The Displacements, which is not necessarily a text for young adults. It's more for adults, but the premise is there's a series of hurricanes in Florida that wipes out parts of Florida. And you don't really think about, you think about that in terms of, yeah, hurricanes are bad, hurricanes are getting bigger, we need to be aware of this. But like, what is the human reality of a whole city being displaced and then another city in that same state being displaced and all the humans that impact and the and the and just the the day-to-day -day lives right of, of humans dealing with this catastrophe it kind of opened my eyes even though i was already aware of the issue it opened my eyes to thinking more about what this really looks like in terms of the real world so i think the more that we can encourage um, young people to read both fiction and nonfiction about this topic the better and i would imagine too that's a growing genre right i imagine as oh, time on, more and more will be added to that genre list yeah, speaking of hurricanes, of course, now, as, as, as we're all aware now, as the warm oceans are warming, when a hurricane is in the ocean, in the past, they, oceans that were cooler, would, and they wouldn't increase. But now, because the oceans are warmer, when they, for example, get in the Gulf of Mexico, they go from like a level you know, one or two. And by the time they get across the Gulf, they're a level four and five. I have fond memories of going to uh, Fort Myers Beach every spring break, year after year, going there. It's a beautiful, wonderful place. It's now devastated. Mm -hmm. so Hurricane Ian, when it got there, as like a level four. It just wiped out Fort Myers Beach. And so think about the people in Fort Myers. They have no economy now, which is a tourist. Con That's gone. So, yeah, it's really, it's affecting, you know, all of, just think of the, the temperature increases all summer across most of the south southwest in the you know even in the hundreds where workers were trying to work outside they couldn't drink water because of laws in the state changes in that company and so we have this thing and it's affecting everybody now because of these extreme weather events and changes in our climate yeah and it feels very much like we're just getting started here um these issues are this is not the middle. This is not the end. Certainly, this is very much the beginning. Um, so as we think about this podcast is geared towards um, practitioners, it's geared toward teachers of all disciplines who are interested in literacy. Um, certainly, this the ideas we've been talking about very much relate to literacy across disciplines. Um, so do you have any final words of advice for teachers who realize, like this is kind of me, I'm speaking to me here. <laughs> I realize I have not talked enough and done enough about this issue and brought it into my classroom enough. So what advice would you have for people like me who think they should be doing more, 
but don't really know exactly where to get started. Yeah, well, as I, we talk about in the report, or talk about in the report, uh, one thing is what you already mentioned. I think that they could certainly serve as sponsors for environmental clubs in their schools. Uh, and when they do that, it's a good idea often to contact local organizations, uh, which is what the, uh, the coordinators in my study did uh, to get resources about climate change. For example, the local, the local Sierra Club or the Climate Change Lobby, which has uh, branches from all over the country to get resources and guest speakers from these organizations. However, whether or not they want to sponsor clubs, I still think that they can have, regardless of whether they do that, students engage in activities uh, that, that described in the report. For example, they could have the students plant a school garden. And from planting the school garden, they learn about native plants that indigenous people use. They, they learn about agriculture where fertilizers are not uh, you know, destroying the crops and land in terms of moving to regenerative agriculture. Um, they can also produce media for their peers and the local community about what they're doing in terms of the need to take climate change. Um, and uh, in my book published this summer, uh, Youth Creative Media for Addressing the Climate Crisis, Hear Our Voices, they're, uh, the website for that book, um, Youth Climate Crisis Media, pbworks.com, contains a lot of rich resources about how to use media to communicate about climate change. Uh, in that book, we have chapters about creating videos, creating social media, creating art, even creating music about climate change that uh, contributors uh, talk about in their chapters. That, uh, But even if you don't read the book, the website includes a lot of rich, rich resources on creative media. I mean, nowadays, uh, students aren't good, you know, just writing a five paragraph theme about climate. That's mm -hmm. not what they're engaged in. They're engaged in media and that's, that's where they, they, they do a lot, spend a lot of their time. And this is where, given all the time they spent with media, they can then turn around and produce their own media to communicate with both peers, members of their school, but also the larger community. So again, I recommend looking at the resources from that book. Well, and, um, and just to interject there real quick, Richard, I mean, those are already, a lot of those things like producing media are things that we're already doing in our classroom, right? We're already encouraging students to get creative, like you mentioned, we're moving away from always giving the five paragraph essay to more creative forms of assessment, more project-based learning. So we're doing a lot of these things already. We just can tie in some of these ideas related to climate change into things we're already doing in our classroom. Um, so, Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Um, I also recommend if uh, resources for teaching, particularly in English classes, uh, the Teaching Adolescents About Climate Change book website, uh, which has a lot of cha separate chapters about teaching literature, about use of writing, about media analysis, deduction, use of drama and video games. Um, and for example, uh, students now can engage in role play activities in their classroom where they take on roles. Let's say they're members of a, a climate crisis uh, organization and they need to make decisions about, or even members of the local uh, community school board or local city council, they may need to make decisions about what to do in their community. 
they can role play that. And based on the role play, they can then go to the actual administrators or to city council and say, hey, in our role play, we concern that these are some things we need to do in our city. Uh, just one example that members of a, another club in a, another suburb of Minneapolis, uh, St. Louis Park, that club, they write letters to the school board members and they grade the school board, the city council members, they grade them on how well they're doing in terms of climate change. So they're, they're really taking on an activist role. Yeah, and, um, and that gets to that relevant and authentic instruction. I was just this morning, I was observing one of my student teachers and she was doing a lesson on rhetoric and talking about the speaker and the audience and the message. And as you're talking, I'm thinking how easily we could tie that kind of rhetoric lesson on speaker, um, audience and message to have them kind of use those things to create something, um, whether it's a presentation at a school board meeting or a community event or, or something else, how easily we can kind of, again, connect what we're already doing with some of these ideas around climate change. And so like for me, sometimes you're given a lot of resources, Richard, which is so helpful. And I think the teachers appreciate it. Um, but I'm also thinking the other side of it is, well, this can be a little overwhelming <laughs> to have so many resources and tools and where to begin. And so I think beginning somewhere like that, right, with a unit you already do, like rhetoric, and then finding ways and using the resources as, as good starting points to connect what you're doing to change kind of a single unit um, to be more environmentally focused. Yeah, I think that? in terms of rhetoric, students are much more engaged when they're thinking about an audience beyond the class other than yeah. the teacher. But then they have to really think, oh, who is my audience? How can I gain that audience identification? I'll like Kenneth Burke. How do I think about, well, how they're going to respond? You know, are certain members of, say, the school board or, you know, let's say they're saying, oh, the school board members don't want to have teachers teaching about climate change or they don't want to teach about race or gender and so on. So how do I think about that audience in terms of addressing their potential responses? Uh, you know, how do I think about, you know, okay, city council members, are you aware of the fact that these things are going on and how do I get you to take action. So yeah, you're right. If they have an audience, a real audience they're thinking about, then they can really frame their arguments much more effectively. They're just writing some, you know, thing for the teacher about something they may not even be interested in. Oh, it's so but true. I also think the big, there's a bigger problem here, which is the lack of teacher education uh, on how to teach about climate change in teacher education programs. Like, you know, the one you may be you're, you're in. Uh, so uh, in a, I cite a, a study or a summary of the research on this, which found by and large, a lot of teacher ed programs, it's still not a, a focus in a lot of these programs. And this was in my 2022 report on teacher education I cite in the, in the, in the script. And this is, there's a real need just for not only teacher education programs, but for professional development. So having people come in to schools and, and, turn, and conducting professional development programs for in-service teachers about how to do these things. And I think if, you know, if teachers, you know, ask the administrators to do that, I think that would be a real help. So then teachers across the curriculum with somebody from, you know, an expert on teaching about that comes in and, the, and then they can interact with each other about how to do this across the curriculum. So there's a real need for not only teacher education programs to change, 
but also from more professional development in schools to really get teachers involved in teaching about climate change. Yeah, I think that's really well said. And this is sometimes where I feel like there's a bit of a struggle to translate from what we know in the in the research and best practices to often get in the hands of the teachers. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I was talking on the podcast interview with Dr. Heather Puell about diverse young adult literature. And there's been a strong push to put more diverse young adult literature in the classroom, which is great. But there haven't been a lot of resources and professional development around how to teach these texts well, because some of these texts you don't teach the same way as you would maybe a canonical text. And, and same with this. Uh, same with, uh, you mentioned the young adult literature in YA um, for the, dealing with environmental and climate change. The teaching of those texts, right, and certainly nonfiction texts might be different than how you teach other texts. And so it's one thing to say, yeah, we should be teaching more of these texts. But then you're right. Also, preparing teachers on on how to choose a good text and how to have conversations around, around text and how to have conversations around critical media liter- literacy and all those things are are important. And and yeah, I don't from from a guy a person who who has recently left the high school classroom and is now in the um, in the um, preparing teachers uh, aspect of of teaching, I I feel yeah we have done an inadequate job in both spaces. I saw in, in teaching high school English and now preparing teachers a poor job of preparing teachers to teach about um, climate change in their discipline. So I think that's yeah I think a lot of professional development is needed. So well said. Uh, well, Dr. Richard Beach, thank you. This has been, I think, a very important conversation. Um, and I appreciate you sharing all those resources and sharing your knowledge and experience with us here on the podcast. Thank you. Well, thank you, Matt.